Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates from General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery, and I want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us as we learn together now what it means to be Free Methodists in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. October 14th, episode 122, and we're excited to be here with you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to start something kind of new here on the show. And uh, of course, we'll still be doing from time to time similar things that we've, that we've been doing. We'll be interviewing uh, the bishops. We'll be talking to leaders of ministries, introducing new ministries to you. We've done that for, for almost three years now. Uh, we'll be doing um, the Bible studies. We'll be finishing up James. So there will be some familiarity, but I was talking this week to a guy named Ephraim Wilkoff. You'll hear from him in just a few moments here in our interview segment. And uh, he kind of launched this idea that that we would do essentially uh, some series here on the show. And his specifically was involving worship. He said, hey, I, I want to invite, invite him here onto the show to talk about worship, which we're going to do on today's episode in a little bit. But then he said, hey, why stop there? Why not talk to you know some other people about this? And so sure enough, we started to line up some of those interviews. And I'm excited to, to share those with you within the next several episodes. Um, but we're going to do some similar series here on the show. So this first series, we're just going to call Worship is More Than a Song. And today I want to, uh, to start that with this interview with Ephraim. But we will connect up with a second interview from a different individual next week. I'll wait till next week to reveal who that is so you can see who she is. And... Uh, we will talk to her, um, but it's going to be an ongoing for the next few episodes, us discussing worship and what is the true meaning of worship and, and in different cultures and in different you know backgrounds and races. Why does worship look different and, and what does it all mean? And so we're going to talk about all these sort of things over the next few weeks, starting with today. So I'm excited to start this journey, uh, do something a little bit different and kind of have a series of connected episodes that we can, that we can connect together. Um, before we get into that interview with Ephraim, we always spend some prayer time and there's a specific prayer request today before we look at our um, prayer guide. Now, you'll remember the name Pr Pam Brayman for many different reasons. First of all, just superintendency, uh, but also uh, Pram B Pam Brayman was one of our nominees for bishop, and we interviewed her uh, back during the nominee process, and um, she was not elected, we now know, um, but uh, still doing great work in the Free Methodist Church, and uh, she just posted the other day on Facebook that her husband, Marshall, is going to be having open-heart bypass surgery this coming Wednesday, October 16th. So um, I told her that we would announce that on the show, that we would let everybody know. Um, we were going to pray in a moment for that, but also, uh, you know, in your private prayer time and in your churches, please be praying for that. Um, I will let you know anything that I hear as of next Monday, kind of an update on the... Um, on the surgery, but again, that is uh, coming up on Wednesday, October 16th, an open heart bypass surgery for Marshall Brayman. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, um, pray for that now. Uh, but actually, before we do that, let's look at uh, the 14th, October 14th, for our Free Methodist World Missions Prayer Guide. 
and we are praying today for Latin America, there are several Latin American countries experiencing continued unrest. Honduras, Nicaragua, Puerto Rico, and Creative Access Country X. Pray for the church to be light amid the darkness. So we're not uh, told here exactly what the unrest is, uh, what exactly what is going on, especially in that creative access country. We might be able to guess at some of the other countries. Um, but let's go ahead and pray for that now. Uh, dear God, we just um, pray, first of all, for this um, situation with Marshall Brayman. We just pray for him and this open heart bypass surgery um, that he has to have. And uh, I'm sure within the last few months or when this was this became a thing, this was a surprise to, to the family. Um, this was not something that they had in their plans um, long term. Um, and uh, But this is not something that's surprising to you. You knew that this was going to be coming. And so we know that you have um, a plan regarding this, and um, we just pray that you will be with the, those doctors that you've already given them the wisdom, the knowledge, the education they need uh, to perform this um, open-heart bypass surgery. But we just pray that um, they would be um, very uh, um, focused that day and that everything would go according to plan, um, that uh, the family, Marshall and also Pam and, and the rest of, of, of their family would be able to um, just worship you through this time and that they would be able to um, just be re just really be able to focus their um, uh, fo focus their worship on you and, and point others towards you during this time this hard time um, and that they would find their hope and their trust uh, that they would not they, they would not um, fall victim to anxiety or fear during this time especially as the Wednesday draws near with the, with this um, of course Marsha will be will be um, <laughs> unaware during the surgery but the rest of the family waiting and kind of waiting to hear what's going on uh, we pray that you'll be with them give them the peace um, during this surgery as they're waiting this this time to, to for, for the recovery to uh, happen so um, we just uh, pray for, for that family. And we also pray for Latin America, the different countries experiencing the unrest. And we know a few of them here, Honduras, Nicaragua, Puerto Rico, and then that country that, that we call Creative Access Country X. But you know what that is, God. And so we pray that you'll be with each and every one of those countries. Uh, whatever unrest is, is going on there, we pray that you'll be, be there. And we pray specifically for the church, our free Methodist churches and our missionaries there in Latin America to be the light amidst all the darkness that, that is a part of what's going on there. So we pray that there would be uh, continued progress in the direction of your freedom, in the direction of your gospel and your grace and your light. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to um, transition into our interview. And the song that you're going to hear during this entire series on worship over the next few episodes that will transition in and out of our of our interviews uh, will be called Clear the Stage. And this version is by Jimmy Needham. I've played, I think, a, a another version of the song by a different artist on a previous show. Uh, but this song is by Jimmy Needham, and um, I really like it. I hope that you like it as well. And it points us in this direction of that we're that we're looking for of uh, guiding our hearts and our minds in this discussion towards what worship is all about clear the stage and set the sound and the lights ablaze if that's the measure you must take to cross the idols jerk the pews and all the decorations too until the congregations fuel and have revival 
Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social And seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can Sing all you want to You can sing all you want to And still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song All right, today we have with us Ephraim Wilkoff, and I'm excited to talk to him a little bit. I met him um, here and there. We didn't have a whole lot of time to interact at General Conference, but I did get to meet him in person, and it was a great um, a time over there and, and get good to meet some new people. Um, Ephraim is originally from an area right near where I'm at in Youngstown, Ohio, so, so not too far, but now you're in New York. So Ephraim, thanks for coming on and speaking to us today. Yeah, it's great to be on the show. I really appreciate it. I'm new-ish to the Free Methodist Church, and I've just found the FMC radio show to be helpful to find out what's going on around the country and to get plugged into what God is doing in different areas of our church. Yeah, thanks, thanks. Um, that's hopefully our continued hope for the show, just to try to spread the word, and kind of as we're doing now, there's people listening, you know, that are saying, now, I've never heard of this guy, because we have a lot of people out in California, and so when we have people from the East Coast, there are, you know, there could be that disconnect of not really knowing who's who. Um, so now, of course, if, if you're on the FMC Twitter, you should have heard of Ephraim because he's one of the main players, I would say, on FMC, FMC Twitter. So <laughs> you have certain people that are involved with Facebook, and you always see their names pop up, and then you have people on Twitter. Um, and I would say you're probably a little more active I've seen on Twitter than I've seen on some of the FMC Facebook stuff. Um, sure. But so tell the, us... The least amount of notoriety that could ever go to a person's head that has definitely gone to my head so it's, it's fun to be, <laughs> there you go it's yes fun to be an fmc twitter person yeah there you go yeah yeah well tell us about for those who don't know uh, much about you tell us a little bit about your um role what you're doing now at the church that you're at sure i've been at edgewood free methodist in brighton new york which is right outside of rochester new york um, for about five years now, it's hard to believe it's been almost five years, but uh, I'm the full-time worship director on staff at the church and uh, handle anything basically that's part of the creative experience on a Sunday morning. So things that happen in our 8 o'clock liturgical service or our um, two later services that I would describe as eclectic contemporary, whatever that means. Uh, and uh, so videos and song selection and putting, you know, leading a team of volunteers and basically whatever needs to get done, stage design, lighting, um, that kind of stuff uh, is kind of all falls under my umbrella as well as taking care of technology things for uh, some of the other ministries of the church and making sure that everybody's computer works and all, all sorts of different things. Basically, uh, whatever's left over. Uh, I get to do for everybody, which is a joy of mine because I have a really weird skill set and uh, get to do a little bit something different every day, which is fun. Yeah, so I know you just mentioned, uh, so you have three services there. Is that that's what you said, right? 
Yeah, our first uh, service at 8 o'clock in the morning is our liturgical service. There's about 35 people um, that meet at that service on, on the regular, sometimes a little less. Um, but that's uh, just a wonderful, simple, uh, it is the most relaxed liturgical experience you'll ever encounter. And I just love that service, uh, the people that are a part of it. And it's a chance to do things that are more traditional uh, than uh, we can do at some of our later services. And I think it makes our other services better um, by having to go through that practice planning on service. And then we have uh, two later services that are identical, uh, and those are more contemporary, whatever that means. Yeah. Well, of course, one thing that when we're talking about contemporary versus traditional, first thing that pops into people's minds, and even when we talk about worship, which we'll, we'll get more into this in a little bit, uh, how we expand past this, but we're, what comes in people's minds, of course, is music. So we're talking about traditional. Um, we're thinking, okay, that, that means hymns, and we're talking contemporary. That means, you know, the, the, top, the top 50, you know, CCM music that's going on. Is that what we're talking about here, or are we talking about something a little deeper than that? I think we're, we're talking about things that are a little more, a little more deeper than that. Um, so our, our liturgical service is not just traditional, which, by the way, traditional and contemporary are some of the least helpful terms you can probably yeah. use when talking about worship, because who's tradition? Who's contemporary? Are you talking about 1985 contemporary, Shout to the Lord contemporary? Are we talking about Bethel <laughs> contemporary? Like, what? What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, it's not a very helpful term, in my in my experience. Um, but uh, so our liturgical service has uh, we do all four of the, the readings um, uh, from the lectionary um, for the week, and we have corporate confession. We take the Eucharist every week, so it is more of a liturgical experience than just this service has hymns and this service has choruses. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have more of a, a unique um, uh, liturgical worship experience at the 8 o'clock. And I have been able to connect with the pre-Methodist uh, liturgical network um, that's, that was had their first worship service together at the General Conference this summer and uh, learned from them and contribute a little bit. And uh, that's been a, a great resource to me as I'm planning that liturgical service. Yeah, as I'm thinking about this, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of aspects, and one thing that kind of we talked beforehand a little bit about back and forth about worship, um, you know, online and stuff. And one of the things that I know really connected with you at General Conference was uh, Bishop Whitehead and him talking about um, the idol of preference. And it, there is some degree to which, you know, having a, a choice is good. We're talking about it right now. We're talking about, you know, the choice of this you know, this, this, these two second services or the first service. And some people say, well, I really prefer to go to the liturgical service or I prefer to go to this, you know, uh, other secondary service. Um, but there can be some problems to that as well. Um, you know, Bishop Whitehead used the term, uh, um, as you reminded me, the idol of preference. So I know that meant a lot to you. T- tell us a little bit about that and, and kind of preference and, and how this can get in the way. Yeah, I remember very distinctly when Bishop Whitehead was preaching about that in the service. I was getting ready to just run up and down the aisles because it's something that is uh, this this idea of a consumerist mentality coming into our worship services. I think is is a problem to many churches, um, and 
it's got to be something that we deal with individually at a heart level because we have to remember that worship is not about us. It's not about what we get out of it. But at the same time, we are going to church at some level to have an experience with God. And there are some environments that are easier or harder for us to enter into that, to allow ourselves to be comfortable enough to let the Spirit speak to us and, and hopefully make us uncomfortable again and then lead us into new places. But that's another, that's another conversation. Uh, but we do have this opportunity to kind of create a space where the Holy Spirit can move as worship leaders. And we have to do um, things that maybe uh, are a little challenging at times, which is to get, you know, 19-year-olds and 90-year-olds together in the same space to worship God together. And it's hard to uh, create an environment that is going to meet those people exactly where they are all the time. And mm -hmm. so at any given moment, I like to describe my job description as being a strategic disappointer. <laughs> uh, as, as a worship leader, I'm a strategic disappointer because I'm choosing who to disappoint at any moment by pushing them out of their comfort zone in order to meet someone else. And the only way that we can have a multi-anything kind of worship service or a multi uh, ethnic or multi-generational uh, worship experience, worshiping community, is with humility. And we have to come to that place um, with a desire to meet with God and not a desire to be served. And if we can do that, then we can encounter God in ways that we never necessarily thought possible. Uh, and I think part of, um, part of my great joy in leading worship is that we've been able to create a multi-generational worship experience uh, at Edgewood, and to see 19-year-olds worshiping next to 90-year-olds just makes my heart sing. It's been a great experience. Yeah. Well, that, and so that's the vision, and, and you guys have been able to see this vision come to life, and I would say that you know, every every church, if, if we went around, we, we interviewed every church, I think every church would say, oh, yeah, that's what we want. You know, we want to see uh, the young people and the old people, everybody doing it. But as it comes into, all of us have seen, I mean, whether you're a leader, a pastor, you know, um, a congregant, whatever it is in the church, we have all seen how that often plays out. You know, the vision of, yeah, we want this to happen. But then you introduce a different style or you do something differently. And unfortunately, there's always people who, who get upset about that, even though they said they want, wanted that thing. Um, and, and, one of these, one of these hard, hard things to figure out, and you guys have kind of um, gotten to this point. But how do we? We don't want to. We don't want to force worship amongst people. Um, so how do we? How, how do you? And how do we lead worship in a way that authentically brings people to a, a true worship experience? So you have the one group that's like, oh, you know, this this music is really resonating with me right now, and so I'm going to worship. You know, and they're really worshiping, but then you have the others that say, oh, I don't like this one. And so do we just try to worship individually and hope others kind of catch on to that? Uh, be concerned about our own worship and not, you know, oh, that person's upset, but you know what? They have to kind of get over that. I mean, how do we deal with this, um, <laughs> this like you were, you're talking about, like this um, multi 
generational, multicultural um, coming together, and then somebody who's only had it one way saying, oh, that's, that's I, I don't know how to worship to that. Right. I think that's a, that's a really difficult question. I think the first part that you asked was like, are, we can't force people to worship God. Right? Yeah. That's, I think that's pretty, pretty obvious by some of the looks that I get from church congregation members on any given Sunday. Uh, we can't force people uh, to experience the Holy Spirit or to bring praise uh, to God, and nor should we try to do so, because forced worship is, is not worship at all. Um, so I think it really boils down to both, uh, to, to answer both sides of this, both parts of this question. Um, this is a, a phrase that I got from Adam Davidson, who was the worship director at Spring Arbor FM when I was at Spring Arbor. And uh, he, he always says that our job is to define a space for worship to happen, to define a space for the Holy Spirit to move and to change lives. And that, that's really all that we can do is try to create something that is conducive to praise and to people experiencing the Holy Spirit. Mm. And that's going to look different on any given Sunday. And sometimes it's going to work really great because you've finally gotten, uh, you know, your congregation kind of on the same page and they're bought in and you're doing something um, that the majority of the people in the room can resonate with and they can jump on board with. And then there's going to be other Sundays when you're teaching something or you are pushing the congregation in a new direction in order to bring um, some people that were previously outside the, the wheelhouse or the center of where your congregation is at, and you're trying to push that uh, a little bit further so that you the next time um, the next time you do it, it's a little more comfortable and people are a little more relaxed. So I, I like to think that there are some Sundays where we are pushing past where we are, and those, those can be kind of prep Sundays for a future Sunday where the center of what you're trying to um, see happen is become more comfortable and people are ready to enter into that and experience um, what, what you're trying to do. Um, but there are definitely some growing pains in that, and sometimes it doesn't go as well as you expect. Um, one of the things I, I love about uh, my congregation, Edgewood, is that they are singers. And uh, I think that's probably true of, of most Methodist and certainly free Methodist communities is that uh, when we let the congregation be the leaders and put songs and keys where the congregation can participate, um, their hearts come out and they sing, and it's really beautiful to watch that happen. Yeah, as you were as you were talking about that and, and kind of thinking of this idea of, of course, we can't force worship. And I think especially as, you know, somebody who is as yourself and, and myself being a pastor and you're the worship director, um, you know, we're getting paid to to do a job. Um, but that's also not just a job that you go to the office and you cluck and, OK, now I'm going to go home, you know, and get to the office tomorrow again. It, it's it's totally different. Um it, but in the same way, because it is a job, it, you look for certain outcomes. And, and there has been many, many pastors or leaders that look for a certain outcome. In, in the case of worship, we'll say, well, it looked like nobody was singing along. Well, maybe I didn't, I didn't achieve that outcome. Uh, okay, maybe I didn't you know, do my job faithfully. I didn't, 
achieve that. Um, and, and one thing that came to mind as I was thinking through these thoughts and hearing what you were saying, I, it came into mind of Amos 5 of, you know, when I'm thinking of worship and I see nobody singing along or, or joining in, it's like, well, they weren't singing, so therefore, you know, that, that, that is the piece. We need to see the, the, the hands raised, the, the, the song, the, you know, the people singing, but that's not necessarily gonna gonna mean reveal the heart necessarily anyways in other words amos 5 21 through 24 says i hate all your show and pretense the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assemblies i will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings i won't even notice your choice peace offerings away with your noisy hymns of praise i will not listen to the music of your harps instead i want to see a mighty flood of justice an endless river of righteous living and so as like thinking through all of this it's like you know Sure, we want to see people worshiping, uh, but at the end of the day, what really needs to be happening is in the heart. Um, and this is something that you know isn't going to. People could be singing as loud as they can, but but it's a matter of that person's heart, um, which of course, as we've just said, cannot be forced. Cannot be that true act of worship cannot be forced amongst people. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're. I think you're right on in, in saying that. Um, what we perceive oftentimes as a win um, as church leaders is not necessarily the win that God is looking for. And we have to recalibrate our expectations of what is what makes us successful. Um, you're not a successful worship leader if you have a worship experience that um, looks like the YouTube videos you watch when you're trying to pick songs. Uh, I mean, it, that, it, I'm not saying it's not, I'm not saying you're not successful if you have a worship experience that looks like that, but that is not the measuring stick that God uses. And uh, as worship leaders, we should be people that are creating environments that fuel God's passion in the direction out from the church, and not just getting people in the seats in order to sing louder and to shine the lights brighter and to, to do whatever it is that we do. But, you know, uh, there's a Matt Redmond song that says, worship should be the fuel for missions flame. And uh, I think that's exactly what we need to be doing as worship leaders is to invite people into this and to encourage them to put the, the truth of the Bible into their hearts and minds as they go throughout the week. I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling in the middle of the night and I don't know what to do, it's not necessarily a sermon that pops in my brain, but it is a song. Yeah. And it is uh, the words from, you know, in, encouraging uh, hymns and choruses that come to my mind. And, and those are the moments that I really need those truths. And so we have to be choosing music and choosing service elements um, that, that help to write the Word of God on our hearts so that in times of, of trial and struggle, that that's what's coming out is the truth uh, of the Gospel. Yeah, that's so true, and and I can definitely relate to that. I think everybody can when they think through this, because, I, I mean, my favorite, this will not be a surprise to anyone who's listening to the show, but my favorite band is Switchfoot, and to think of, in an average service, church service that I would go to, my favorite portion is is the sermon time. It always has been. A, music's fine, but my favorite portion is the sermon. But my times that I feel the closest to God have been in those concerts that I've been at, at Switchfoot. 
And there's something about, I've, I've thought before, it's like, if I could actually just take what they did in this two-minute song and give a sermon that somehow related this concept, if I could just relate into people's minds what this song speaks about, it would be so great. But there's no way to do it because somehow the medium of the song is different than, you know, you could go on for an hour about that exact same topic and not be able to relate to people as, in the same way. So music just has somehow this other power to, to reach you on a different level um, that is more memorable, that does stick in your mind, but also touches you in this different reality than just words could. I, I absolutely agree. There, there's something about music, and I think it's, it's part of our innate um, commandment to be creative beings as God is creative. Um, to, to join him in that, to make something together as a group, and to um, just see what, what God is doing. Because I, I think it, it, you know, if our goal as Christians is to live this journey becoming more and more like Christ, um, creative outlets for um, sanctification, for lack of a better term, uh, are important, because those are things that Jesus did, those are things that God does. And uh, we can join him in that. There's something there. There's a mystery there that we can't fully explain. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, and it's that balance of figuring out. That's what's so difficult about all of this because we are talking about, again, not just a job or a, you know, you achieve, achieve this on the Excel sheet and you've completed your job for this month. It's so much more complicated when we're getting into matters of the heart and matters of, you know, ministry and people, and, and not only that, just people, but we're talking about, you know, presenting something to God, um, not just can the people get on board with this new song, but can, can, can you know, is this going to be something that's acceptable, an acceptable presentation to God of worship? Um, so there are so many things that go into all of that um, beyond just, all right, we picked the five songs for this week, and uh, we're good, you know, let's go practice, you know? <laughs> so... It's, right. It, right. it's it's so much more than that. Well, it, and, and speaking of, I guess so much more than that. We we kind of referenced this when I when I read the the Amos passage. But you know, I think when the average person thinks of, they hear praise and worship. Oh, okay, we're gonna do the the song time now, um, the singing portion of the service. But how have you in your life uh, come to de define worship? Um, how is it bigger than just a, a, a song? Uh, the, the definition I like to use for worship is uh, that worship is any response to God. So anytime that we see God or see the work of God and we stand in awe or marvel at the beauty of the cross or, or uh, experience the Holy Spirit and respond in gratitude or thanks, uh, to, to me, worship is response. Um, so that's my very simple definition of worship, and this is actually, I think, a pet peeve of many worship leaders, um, and I, I even heard this from some of our leaders at General Conference and even at my own annual conference of uh, people saying, saying worship but meaning song time. Uh, right. And, uh, and I think it's just become so much a habit mm -hmm. that we don't even think about it, that it's just worship equals singing or worship equals uh, corporate worship and song, and, and so I, I would just challenge you, if you're a, a leader in any capacity, uh, to be a person that is willing to say, um, let's, let's worship in song. 
or um, if you mean singing, just say singing. It's okay uh, to say singing. I don't, I don't know that there's necessarily uh, a magic to what changes from singing to worship um, other than the state of our hearts. And so I, I also think if you're trying to reach people that are unchurched or uh, de-churched, calling things worship that they just view as singing, um, I think can maybe force people to do something they're like, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure I believe in any of this. I don't know that I'm ready to worship, but I could sing a song. Um, and so I think there's definitely an openness for us to just call the thing what it is. Yeah, I think true. sometimes we have the ability to take ordinary things and, and over-spiritualize them and then take very spiritual things and then just make them ordinary as well. So I think sure. that's a problem we have on, on both sides of that. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's definitely a, a pet peeve of mine. And so I would just encourage you uh, leaders out there that if, if you mean singing, just say singing. Um, uh, we, we understand that everything that we do as part of the corporate worship gathering is worship from uh, the, the welcoming gathering time to music to giving worship and giving. It's not a, it's not a business transaction when your congregation gives to the Lord, that's worship. And in fact, you know, the original worshipers of God would have been shocked if offerings were not a part of that worship experience. So that, call it what it is. You know, offering is, is an act of worship. And uh, then we worship God through the revelation of his character, through the Word of God, and uh, that's worship too. And when we respond in, in prayer or uh, making a decision to, to follow Jesus or whatever our call to action is, and that's worship too. And uh, when we go out the doors to serve the poor and to welcome the stranger, by the way, that's worship too. So I think we should just call things what they are. And remember that worship is so much bigger than what happens on a Sunday morning. Yeah, you actually hit on one thing that I was going to follow up with because I, I remember hearing this and I'll never forget Bishop Roller, I guess Bishop Emeritus now. Uh, he, um, he, he talked about how he would say often in, in when, he would, uh, when he was a pastor, when he was involved with services, um, what many, many leaders and pastors have said during the offering time. They would preface it by saying, now, this is, a, this is a time that's just for members of the church, you know, to give, to support our church. And, you know, then they go about the prayer or whatever and go on with the offering. But then he, I forget if someone came up to him or if something occurred, but there was something that changed his, his mind on this when he started to view the offering, as you've just said, as worship. And he realized that it, it, it wasn't helping anybody for him to say, hey, if you're new here, please don't give anything. It seemed like the right thing to do until he viewed it as worship. And then it's like, listen, this is another way to worship today. You can give, you cannot give. It, it's up to you. But if you want to give as an act of worship, be, feel free to do that. Uh, whether you're the first time, whether you're a member, um, this, is, this is a way to worship in addition to our singing time, in addition to acting on the, you know, the, the word that you're going to hear here in the sermon. So it, it's, it's you know, seeing each aspect, first of all, of the service as worship and not just now here's this time where we do this other completely unrelated thing to kind of pay the bills for the lights you know uh, it, it really is a part of the worship um, absolutely and and i would 
I, I agree 100% with anything Bishop Waller says, but that is absolutely right. <laughs> That's very true. Me too. Um, I, I think, so we, we focused mainly on the service aspects, but I know you mentioned this just briefly, but I wanted to say even more about, talk a little bit more about even just outside of the service, because what has kind of been a trend um, amongst, I would say, many, if not the majority of Christians, I feel like, seems to be, that we, whether we realize it or not, we've compartmentalized life um, into these boxes. And so you, we talk about the secular world versus the spiritual world. Or people say, well, are you in ministry? Oh, yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm a worship director. Or they say, oh, no, well, I have a secular job. I work at an office, you know, HR manager. Um, and we have compartmentalized our lives. We say, well, here's my church life, and over here is my regular, you know, my other life. Um, and it's not that we're doing anything bad necessarily in that second life, but we just see that as, well, this is what I do to pay my bills in this office building um, or as a janitor or as whatever. Um, and then I have, you know, my my quiet time praying and my time at church. Um, why do you think people have compartmentalized worship into Sunday morning or when they're having their quiet time, prayer time? Uh, and what do we do to overcome this? I think that's a, I think that's a really good question. I, I think it's, it's tough to really lock down, but I, I think yeah. um, in general we've outsourced our spiritual responsibilities to what we deem as the professionals. And uh, we, we see this often in the way that uh, we do our parenting. You know, we, we expect our um, children's directors to be able to teach our kids everything they need to know about um, God and everything they need to know to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus in one hour a week. And oh, by the way, we can only come two weeks a month because we have soccer. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and, and so I think we, we've kind of outsourced that. Uh, I think we, we outsourced um, our worship to uh, professional song leaders and we, we outsource our, our kindness to pastors who make hospital visits and um, we, we expect our pastors to have the time to do the things that we, we don't make time for. And uh, that's very easy for me to say because I am a full-time pastor. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and so I, I recognize that I'm saying this from a place of privilege, and I don't mean to uh, heap burden upon people who are just trying to get uh, through each day because I know I know what that's like, um, and uh, um, it's hard. Life is, is difficult, and to be told that you're not doing enough is not a, an encouraging thing. Uh, but but I would in, encourage people to just from a mindset to look at every opportunity that you have interacting with another person to realize that um, the Bible makes no. I mean. In terms of practice, no real distinction between ordained leaders and lay leaders in terms of what God expects us to do um, in serving other people. And uh, to just look for opportunities and moments to get outside of yourself and to say, this is, this is an opportunity. Like I said, you know, the definition of worship is response. So maybe we see Jesus in a person on the street and we respond and generosity and kindness and house worship. Or maybe we see um, a coworker struggling and just say, 
Hey, I don't know what you're going through, but I, if you, if you ask, you know, if I, if I could pray for you, that would, that would mean something to me. And that's a, that's an opportunity, um, to, to see God at work somewhere in the world and to respond in worship. Yeah, what we're really talking about here is not saying, well, all of the opportunities that you see, you got to sign up for additional stuff in addition to your crazy schedule. <laughs> it's, it's what are you already doing? How can you then use those same opportunities to to for the gospel? So, of course, so like one thing that we're talking about here is 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 that it's not just the 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 paid you know, church staff that is to do the ministry. And in fact, that's that's backed up by the Bible, Ephesians um, 11 and 12. It says, or I should say, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, say, so Christ himself gave the, the pastors, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So the job of the pastor, the job of the teacher is to equip the people for the works of service. So it's not that then... The pastor equips the people so that then the pastor can go out and do all the works of service. That is part of it because he in himself or she in herself are, you know, they are um, living their own apprenticeship to Jesus. They're living out their own faith. So, yes, they are supposed to live out the, the, the works of service also, but it's everybody is being equipped and then going out and doing it. And it starts right where you're already at. So you may be listening and you say, well, I'm just in a, you know, I'm in an office. How in the world? I mean, I have quotas to meet in my job. How, I don't have any time to do like outreach or anything. Obviously, there are simple things as you have a lunch hour. Just talk to people. Reach out to people. Don't go reading a book by yourself or watching Netflix during that hour or whatever on your own. Reach out. But one thing that I did is I, I spent a few years in a, as an HR manager in an office um, that I thought, well, how can I you know, do something a little bit different, just to, to try to do something a little different to just meet with people. And so um, one thing I realized is I brought in a bread maker that I had at my house. I wasn't using it. And um, I plugged it in. And every Tuesday, I would make bread. I would just pour the bread in there in the morning, just push the button and then get to work. And then after a little while, of course, it smelled so good. It went out into the rest of the office and everybody wanted to come in and eat some bread. And we would just always after a while they expected that they're like oh it's you doing the bread today and we would pick the different recipes the sweet or the you know the the cheese or whatever different kinds and you know just find some simple way just be a little imaginative and think of what can i do to just stand out just to be a little bit different and then once you have that you know standing out a little different then you have the opportunity for those kinds of conversations right where you're already at so there's all sorts of opportunities I think this is another example of, of let's let's start calling things what they are. And so often we we talk about ministry when we really mean pastoral ministry. And Jesus calls everyone to ministry. He calls some right. to be pastors. And uh, we, we need to, to words are powerful, and words dig into our patterns, and then they become tradition, and then they become law sometimes. And uh, we need to watch the, the, the way that we talk about certain things because they can lead us into places that we never meant to go. Yeah, maybe um, for those of us who are listening who are, who are working in pastoral ministry or leadership, maybe we can, we can begin to remind ourselves to kind of redirect that conversation, take people off guard when somebody comes to you and says, hey, 
uh, are you in ministry? And say, you could just say back to them, yeah, aren't you? And then as they're confused, uh, say, well, hey, everything's ministry and, and have that as an opportunity. Because I, I know um, if you're like me, people ask those types of things all the time. Well, what kind of ministry do you do? And that's just an opportunity to turn the question back and to reveal to them, hey, you're in ministry as well. This is how it works and kind of redefine that conversation. Whereas most of the time I'd say, oh, yeah, well, I'm a pastor here and there and kind of just go on from there because I know what they mean. Uh, but be able to use these kinds of conversations to to kind of um retrain people's minds in this direction that, hey, we're all, you know, in the royal priesthood. We are all ministers um, just in different ways in the body of Christ. Yeah, I like to say that the local church is the greatest team sport in the world. Yeah. And that uh, everybody gets to play. And uh, if, if you, we don't play together, uh, then everybody suffers. Everybody is, is less successful. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. And I guess that that connects to what I was going to say as well, which is um, something that you had this great idea and we're going to continue to do this. We're going to interview some other people in the weeks to come on worship, um, kind of continue this this theme for a few weeks here and um, interview different different people from different churches, different leaders. Um, and thanks so much for having that idea because it, it is good to have these different perspectives that we all know at the end the, the goal is the same. You know, we're trying to worship God, not only in song, but with our life. Um, but how, you know, how do we reach out to different generations, different, you know, cultures, all of this. So this is a great idea that you had to kind of continue this conversation beyond just one perspective that you have um, and, and continue this. So thanks so much for talking to us and for, you know, having this idea as we're moving forward. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to listen to the, the rest of the series, and I'm hoping you're going to follow up with some of the names that I gave you because, you know, I'm just a, I'm just a boring white guy from Cleveland, and uh, <laughs> there's a lot of other diversity and uh, exciting things going on in free Methodist worship around the globe, and I'm really anxious to hear those different things because I, I have one perspective, and uh, before we go, I do want to just encourage some of the worship leaders out there, if you're still listening to this, um, you don't have to be a full-time worship director. You don't have to be at a church with a, a big budget. You don't have to have lights and screens and smoke machines to create a space where the Holy Spirit can move and change people's lives. Because ultimately, that's what it's about. You need to prepare yourself as musically as you can, prepare yourself as spiritually as you can uh, in order to create a space where the Holy Spirit to change lives. And I had this conversation with a volunteer this week. Um, he had just played drums last week, and I, I was looking at my, my rotation as volunteer, and I didn't have a drummer for this week. And uh, so I asked him again, and he's like, you know, I've got family coming in town, and I just don't think I can. And I responded to him just saying, that's fine. We'll figure it out, because the Holy Spirit is not dependent on having a full drum, a full drum kit this week. We trust in other things. We trust in much better things. That it's not about the perfect set list. It's not about the perfect chord progression. But it's about um, creating a space. And I keep going back to that because I think it's so important. Uh, we have to let the Holy Spirit do the work. Um, I'd love for anybody who's who's uh, needs some resources on how to, you know, get going with a, a corporate worship service, maybe you, you're at a small church and you just need resources or be pointed in the right direction, 
If you want to contact me uh, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, I, I'd be happy to talk with you or, or help find help you find the right things to get you going. Yeah. So, uh, what's your obviously on Facebook they could uh, just search your name, but what's your Twitter name? Twitter is at Wilkoff E. That's W I L K O F F E uh, on Twitter. Okay. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'd love to talk with people about what they're doing at their church and see what's what's happening and how I might be able to point them to some good resources about how to create a space. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for starting the conversation here today. And um, as we move forward, it'll be good to, to share all these perspectives and, and see what everybody can learn from each other. Um, not only the, the worship leaders with each other on this conversation, but also um, everybody involved in all sorts of ministry, again, as defined by every single person who is a Christian. So, <laughs> so thanks, for, uh, thanks for being on with us. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Appreciate it. Yeah, we'll talk soon. Stop thinking of is an idol. And anything that I give all my love is an idol. Cause I can sing all I want to. Yes, I can. That's the measure you must take to cross the idol.